Hi everyone, I'm Morgan Hewitt, and this is Find Your Niche. Find Your Niche is a podcast where I interview everyday women succeeding in their careers. They'll give you some insight to those careers that interest and inspire you. For our first episode, I had the pleasure to sit down and chat with Maggie Kane, the founder of A Place at the Table. A Place at the Table is located in downtown Raleigh and is Raleigh's first pay-what-you-can cafe. At only 23 years old, Maggie had the idea to start a pay-what-you-can cafe with the mission of providing community and good food for all, regardless of means. And on her 25th birthday, she received nonprofit status for the cafe. Maggie has earned many awards, including Triangle Business Journal's 40 Under 40 Award. She has received the Outstanding Young Alumni Award from NC State University and has been honored with the Thad Year Junior Memorial Award. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Maggie. A Place at the Table is such a unique cafe idea of restaurant. It's the first in Raleigh, North Carolina. And before we jump into it, I kind of want to start with your background. Where did you grow up and what did your family look like growing up? Did you have siblings? Sure. Yeah. So I um, grew up in Raleigh. Very fortunate to have grown up here. Um, Love Raleigh. Did think that I would leave one day um, and just haven't yet. Uh, I have a twin sister named Anna, and she is my best friend. We are incredibly different. We grew up hating each other, being very different, sharing a room, uh, you know, people's worst nightmare, my worst nightmare back then. Uh, but she's, she's incredible. She, again, she's my best friend, and um, she just had a baby and lives in Carrie. My brother is seven years older than us, and is also just my so near and dear to me and such a such a great great pal um he lives with his wife in apex in holly springs area um and their seven-year-old who is the love of my life his name is Bennett. so with our mom um incredible amazing mother um she I, i really i get so much of what i've done um from her she has been such a source of inspiration and she still lives here she lives here with her partner john and our avid volunteers at a place at the table so she's she's fantastic retired um teacher from wake tech and just wonderful she has the she's an accountant so she has the finance background and oh well that's nice you have your whole family in your area okay so then what kind of student were you growing up did you like school yeah um no i did not like I actually, I truly hated school. Um, kids are mean. I, I think I liked to learn for sure, but I, uh, and I still do, but kids were mean. Um, and, and so school was not that much fun for me. I didn't have a ton of friends. I got made fun of a lot. Um, but I was heavily involved in a youth group. So I come from a faith background and was heavily involved in the youth group and met some of my best closest friends from there and spent a lot of time um just in just volunteering and and um going on trips with with some of those friends okay so volunteering was a very prominent feature of your life from an early age yes thanks to Shelly Kane thanks to Mama Kane so yes absolutely and with church we we did a lot of volunteering and um seeing what was what was there in our community. So, yeah. But you were obviously a decent enough student. You go to NC State University. I don't know a decent enough student. 
did, but I, I made my way through. You go to state. What did you think you were going to major in? Yeah, great question. Um, I actually didn't even want to go to state, which is so terrible. I thought, I thought that I would, again, keep, I'd move away and get away from the bullies and get away from this town. Um, and I went to, I applied to go to App, so Appalachian in Boone. I love the mountains. I'm a hiker, biker, all the things. And, and I, um, I wanted to go there, but I went up there a couple weeks, a couple, maybe a couple months before, and it was negative two degrees and raining. And I said, I cannot go here. I will not make it here. I'll, and I will not make it out here alive. So I ended up um, going to state and I loved it so much. Um, I, my major, I love to travel if there's a theme here, but I, I, so I went to school for international relations and Italian. I had taken a lot of time classes. I traveled to Italy. I spent a lot of time in Italy in high school and very fortunate to have done that too. And so I said, I am going to major in international business, international relations, Italian, and go teach English when I graduate abroad, marry a hot Italian and be the dream. Right. Live the dream. And, uh, that didn't happen. Hasn't happened yet. Maybe one day. So I, um, I ended up while I was in school at NC state, um, again, found my way back to volunteering and began volunteering at a day shelter, working with folks experiencing homelessness. So a place where we saw 80 to a hundred people coming in every day, needing just a place to be, um, a cup of coffee and, and a place to get out of the cold, like on a cold mm-hmm. day, like today. And so I fell in love with, with that work. And what was that shelter called? So that shelter was called Love Wins. Um, it's, it does still exist. And, and that was just a fantastic experience for me. Um, I spent, we going back to what you said, did you love school or you a good student? I spent a lot of my time running the stay shelter and, and getting to know so many folks on the street versus going to class, but I did graduate. Um, again, really lucky to have graduated. And a lot of them, um, folks experiencing homelessness had came to my college graduation. So I, I, I didn't have a job when I graduated and I was thinking of the move, thinking of what I was going to do. And that's when I said, I, I can't leave this yet. So I, I ended up taking a job with the day shelter and worked there for a couple of years. Okay. So when did you have the idea for a place at the table? Yeah. Yeah. Great great question um I still go back and think like what the hell was I thinking like (laughs) how did this come in my brain um I and it really the the answer is people the the amazing people that I was I had the opportunity to meet I um was running the state shelter again we saw about 80 to 100 people experiencing homelessness or experiencing extreme poverty coming in every day and I was just really getting to know them I was getting to know their their stories their hearts their heart, their dreams, all of that, and um, their, their hopes and their dreams. And, and so, and they were knowing mine, and, and we were developing this friendship. Um, and so for me, eating, uh, getting to know someone, eating with them is the way to do it. Food is that, that common connector that we all have it, that we all have in common. And so I would, I would eat with them and eating with people experiencing homelessness means you eat at the soup kitchen and Raleigh has an incredible soup kitchen. We, our soup kitchen feeds 300, 350 people in an hour every day. And so I would go eat with them. And so we'd walk down to the soup kitchen. We'd stand in line for 30, 45 minutes. Once we got in, we get handed a plate. We didn't get to choose what we wanted. 
And then we have to eat really quickly so someone else could come in and eat. So I couldn't have that time to just really sit with people and have get- that conversation. Right. And, and so I, in my mind, as I'm there again, the soup kitchen fills the hunger need, but I said, this is, this is so different than my life experience. Right. And so I started taking people out for meals and I said, wherever you want to go, we'll go. And we ended up at golden corral and, and K and W cafeteria a lot. And we, there was one, one night I was at golden corral with my friend, John, who happened to be on the streets at the time. And I said, John, why do we always come to Golden Corral? Like, you always got to come here. I said, is it because you can get a ton of food, uh, you know, large plates and anything you want, um, any, as much as you want? And he said, no, Maggie, it's for two reasons. One, there's cho- I get choice here. I can choose whether I get a salad or whether I eat pizza. Living in poverty, people make every choice for you from what you eat to where you sleep. Here I get to choose. And two... I feel seen here. Living in poverty means you get treated as invisible a lot. People walk right over you. They literally step over you. Um, here, I feel seen. Someone greets me at the door. They come around and check on me. They give, they ask if I need a refill. They say bye as I'm leaving. I feel seen and heard here. And that was really the mic drop moment for me where I said, wow, you know, in Raleigh, we have really great restaurants and we have really great nonprofits, but where's the place where all people feel seen, all people can come together um, and food is that commonality. And so how can we use food as our tool towards creating community, towards bringing all sorts of people together, literally at the table, Um, started researching Mm -hmm. and found the pay what you can system and found that there were at the time, over 60 pay what you can cafes through the One World Everybody Eats Foundation. And while the One World Everybody Eats Foundation doesn't financially open cafes or, you know, come and help you or whatever, it is a network of cafes that all use this pay what you can system. They all look very different in their communities. But I said, wow, if mm-hmm. other places can do this, then Raleigh can too. Went to visit the closest one, which ironically is in Boone, North Carolina, and said, wow, if, again, if they can do this in Boone, Raleigh can do this too. And here we are four years later, we opened January 8th of 2018 and the rest was history. <laughs> well, congratulations on just opening is just a big deal. But yeah, we celebrate our three-year birthday um, in January, which is crazy. Okay, so you go to Boone, yeah. you see their pay what you can cafe system. What, what does that one look like? Yeah, so it's very different than a place at the table. It it meets Boone's needs. It's it's totally Boone uh, Boone like, which is awesome, and I love it because I love everything about Boone. Um, but it's it's you walk in and you get greeted, you get called by name, you. Mm-hmm. feel loved and cared for um just like at a place at the table and the chef is one of my great great friends and she now we talk once a week and she um is also the amazing chef so they have a, a home-cooked great meal every single day they're only open for lunch mm-hmm. so if you are in boone monday through friday you have to go from 11 to 1 um and get their food but they helped. So as soon as I walk in, I, I didn't say anything the first time. And then I brought another person back with me and then another, mm-hmm. and I brought about 10 different people back with me, hoping someone would say, you shouldn't do this. Don't do this, Maggie. Um, and no one said that everyone said, that's a, this is great. Let's do it. Right. Um, 
then I finally sat down with Renee and I said, Renee is the chef and, and executive director there. I sat down with her and I said, how do we do this in Raleigh? And she has supported me since that day in 2014. So your friends, your family were supportive. They never thought that's a crazy idea. Maybe you should hold back. Well, they definitely thought it. They just didn't tell me. So, well, you know what? That's a, that's a blessing right there. Right. I'm just like, well, you <laughs> tell me that this is going to consume me for the next four years. Um, but they were super supportive and believed in me and believed in, in this mission that, that I so wanted to see happen. Okay. So you see Boone, you eventually connect with the chef Renee and now you're in Raleigh. You know, I imagine you're still working um, at the day shelter. Yep. At the day shelter. What was the very first few steps that you started taking? You know, you need a location, you need resources. Yeah. What was the first thing you did? The first thing I did was Google, hit the Google. Um, Actually, no, I went to the library and. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I know. Oh my gosh. And um, I checked out books and they were all super outdated. No offense, library, but they were all, they were just outdated. And, and, and I said, okay, I think I'm going to have to go to Google. And so Google told me that I needed to um, incorporate us as a business that going downtown to the secretary of state and opening up a business. So that's what I did. And I picked a name and ended up getting denied um and got it got we got it got it back in two weeks and we were denied so had to go through the steps again and figure out how to do it better this time um and turn that in but then I realized that wait the next step Google says is you have to become a nonprofit. so you incorporate as a business and then you have to become a nonprofit. and as a nonprofit, you need a team you need a board of directors you need volunteers you need people who are going to help make this happen so I started to create a small team. Anyone that was like anyone, I didn't care who it was. Please join my team. Anyone who would donate their time and resources. Anyone who would donate their time to help me, this 23 year old who has this like bright, like bright idea that never works. Um, and found several different folks to start the conversation. And so we started having weekly meetings. Um, the amount I, I am now called Maggie Kane queen of meetings because I have had meetings since 2014 and I have not stopped. And so, um, but we, we had the, we, we had the small group of people that met once a week and then we slowly started bringing in people into this circle. So, it was, okay. So do you, who in this group knows an accountant? We need a financial person. Okay. Who in this group knows a lawyer? Who in this group knows fundraisers? Who in this group knows worker bees? We need all yeah. these people to make this happen. And it kind of just started going from there. So we were still meeting weekly. And so then we started to compile our, all of our nonprofit paperwork. And so a couple months later, seven or eight months, we applied for nonprofit status. And with all the paperwork that's needed, if anyone's ever done that, that's listening, it is, it, it's a, it's a, it's total grunt work. It's not easy. Um, but you find really good people who know how to help and do it. So with that said, started pulling all these pieces together, applied, um, got our, our nonprofit status in a couple months, actually on my birthday, wow. which was amazing. I think it was on my 24th birthday. I opened up the mail and we received it. It was great. Um, and then we just started building what we have now. Um, we started doing information sessions and telling people about a place at the table. Um, anyone that would host an information session, whether it was a bar to a church, anyone that wanted to, um, have us in there to start spreading what we were doing. 
um, we just started telling the story. We got on social media. So we also launched social media and we started telling the story through that. I probably had five followers. They were my best friends and my mom, but slowly it started to grow from there. Um, we started, to, we formed a um, community advisory board and we, and this was, we were given this information from one of, I, in the beginning, I asked for a lot of money from different people and that was wrong. I wasn't, we were ready to ask for money, but great advice out of it. And so a large corporation said, Maggie, you need constituents who are experiencing poverty on your team. You need people who actually get it. Formed a community advisory board made up of, and we still have them, that we still meet monthly to this day. People who are, have experienced poverty, are experiencing poverty, or work with people experiencing poverty. And so we started going to a different nonprofit every month, telling the story of what we were doing, seeing if this is what people actually wanted, and mm -hmm. learning about what they were doing um, and partnering with their organization. And so we just started slowly doing those things um, until we decided. We also need to start living our mission of pay what you can. So we started partnering with local restaurants in this community and doing pop-up meals. So, so every second Saturday, we popped our concept up at a local restaurant and invited all sorts of people, everyone we could, people in the nonprofits, to people who are on social media, to people um, even just posting flyers around town and people started literally coming to the table and paying what they could for their meal. And we did that every second Saturday for a year. The first one had 50 people and it was a disaster. And the last one had 450 people and it was incredible. So again, people followed the journey and the story mm -hmm. um, until we opened our doors. Okay. So for a full year, you were just doing pop-ups with local restaurants. Yes. How did you reach out to these restaurant owners? How did you get them to jump on board? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, um, again, in the beginning, as we're like bringing our team together, we just started mm -hmm. trying to think of who do we need on our team that has skills we don't have. I've worked in restaurants my whole life, but I have never owned one or at that time even managed one. So we yeah. talked to an awesome restaurateur and restaurant owner to, to serve on our team and be on our board. And so we started at his restaurant. And so, so you find really good people with skills you don't have and, and you just ask. And so once we did one there, we just called another restaurant owner and said, it really worked here. Are you willing? Um, and some said no, but a lot of them said yes. And so, um, again, I think you just find the really good people who know, it, who know that industry and, and um, then just ask. Before you even opened doors, before you even reached out to these restaurants to have pop-up, you were really growing your team. That's right. You had your board basically, yep. and you just kept reaching out to other people for what you didn't already have yep. and still needed. Yeah. And on. I always say, so people always ask the question about, about fundraising, like how do you get the funds to do what you do? And I, you know, I say instead of fundraising for four years, because again, this took us four years to launch. So instead of fundraising those four years, we friend raised. So we made the friends that make table that made table happen and make it happen every day from the people who volunteer and sit on boards and committees, the people that volunteer in the cafe, to the people that donate with us and choose to eat with us to the people who, who um, uh, dine with us and choose to eat with us or the people who donate and financially give to us. Over the four years, we friend raise these folks and just 
made friends in the community um, and slowly just started bringing people together uh, around this concept. And so that's how truly, I think, um, making friends. And great friends. I mean, I can't imagine that they were almost as passionate as you were. Yes. I mean, and to still continue this. Yes. Still are. Um, I, I am, we would not work if, if we did not have so many folks who are so passionate about this. Mm-hmm. They make it happen every single day. Dining, donating, volunteering. Um, that's the cool part about A Place to Table is it has become a community movement. And the only reason we are here is because they are holding it up and making it happen. Okay. And how long were you doing pop-ups before actually opening a physical location? Was it about two years? Yeah. So, so we spent, so not the second year. So we spent, we spent three years looking for a space. So while we're doing all these things, we're also looking for a space. I had an awesome real estate agent working with us and it was, he called me a week before we found our space. And he was like, Maggie, I don't know. I don't think you're, this is three and a half years in. So like, I don't think we're ever going to find a space. Like it might be time to give this up um, because we would call landlords. And the first thing they would say was, no, we don't want that there. No. Right. It's not going to make money. It's not whatever. Nonprofit. They're not going to be able to pay their rent, which is just not true, but that's what people think about it. Um, and so um, we kept looking, kept looking. And then finally, um, York Properties, an amazing company in Raleigh, gave us a ch- gave us a chance. They called us the week after and said, "We think we have a space for you." And so that's that's how that went. Um, but that was three and a half years into building a place at the table and what we are. But I always say, if we had found the space early on, we wouldn't still be here today because we needed those three and a half years to build the community we have. Um, so three, yep, three and a half years found the space and did construction and moved in three months later. The space is beautiful. I mean, I can't think of a better space for the restaurant, honestly, downtown Raleigh, uh, three and a half years, you said landlords were not being kind. Was it that, or were you just also not finding, you know, the ideal spot? Were you always trying for Raleigh? Always trying for downtown Raleigh because we knew we needed to be in a space where it was, um, accessible to everyone so in downtown you people are living working and playing and people are living in shelters seeking social services taking public transit and so we knew downtown was that that hub for everything and everyone okay so it took you three and a half years during that three and a half years before actually opening doors you were building your team you were getting the pop-ups and with the pop-ups what did you learn from that that really helped you when you opened your doors? Yeah, yeah. Um, we learned how a pay what you can cafe could work and how and and if people wanted this to happen, if people wanted us to be a place in Raleigh, um, we that's why we decided to pop up because we said we need to actually make sure that people want this here. And so as we started to see every month, the numbers grew and grew and people were really interested in this concept and people were going to pay what they could from nothing to $2 to $5 to $50. Um, we needed it to actually prove that it could work and, and that people were interested. So I think that's what we learned out of it is we, people do want this. I have this great picture on the wall of Kristen Cooper, our governor's wife, sitting across 
from a guy I know who sleeps under a bridge and a woman I know who I work out with, right? And and all all these different people are just sitting together at this community table having conversation. Um, and then they all came back the next month. So it was just obvious that people were ready for a concept like yeah. this. Yeah, everyone from all walks of life coming together as we should, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and so you started seeing success with these as you kept going because you must have had to. I mean, three and a half years is a long time. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did. And and like I said, we had 50 people at the first one and then we had 500 people at the last one. And so, and then people, we, you know, we posted on social media every time and people shared our stuff and people were getting really excited about it. And so we knew that, this is what Raleigh needed. And we were excited to bring this to Raleigh. I think people are searching for something to be a part of. People are lonely. People are, it, now more than ever, people are lonely. People, people want to be a part of something, whether they're eating there, uh, donating or volunteering, they want to be a part of something. Um, and they want to be a part of something that's, that's for change. That's doing something good. Um, and so I think people were were buying into to that concept too, um, and feeling like they were a part of it. Was social media the biggest platform you guys used to get the word out? Yes, yes, absolutely. I I was not a social media media expert what whatsoever, uh-huh. but I tell I tell people all the time. I tell people starting businesses, nonprofits um, that I'm speaking to use social media because it is free and it is there and. And it's another way for people to feel a part of something. Um, and people follow stories. And 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 so tell me your story. Okay. And so which social media platforms do you like to use the most? We So we use Instagram the most. Instagram and Facebook. Um, and we have a newsletter that goes out. But we, we've, Instagram has been so good to us. We started with, like, like I said, like five followers. Um, and slowly built it. And now we've got about 17,000. Wow. I thought, no, I mean, we got goals. We got to get to hundred. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you do. You got to keep expanding. I love the mission. Yeah. What's like some of the hardest things that you have to do as your, as a business owner, or as a nonprofit owner? Oh God, every day, every day. You see how tired I look. Um, no, it, it's, it's awesome. You hire really good people uh-huh. who know what they're doing. Uh, So the hardest part, I think, is we are not just a nonprofit. We're not just a restaurant. We are a nonprofit restaurant. So we, our cafe is not sustainable. So we do have to fundraise on top of it. And so it's just, it's just hard work. Um, I, restaurateurs deserve all the credit in the world because it is hard. Um, And same with nonprofit work. So I think that's hard. Um, I think. I, you said the word tedious, every, every little thing is tedious, right? So when the toilet breaks, who's responsible? I always look around. I'm like, who do we call? Like what I'm responsible at the end of the day, I got to fix that dang toilet. So I think just being a business owner, leader, whatever that may be, you knowing that it all falls back on you is really hard. If the alarm goes off at 3am, you're the one that has to go. And so it's it's super tedious. That's the exact mm-hmm. word for it. But at the same time, every day is worth it, and it's incredible. And it's it's. I feel so lucky to be a part of it. Um, 
but yeah, I'd say there are a lot of tedious things. I also hate anything financial. And so you little Miss Economics degree can stay over there. I, that is not my, like, it just doing payroll is tedious to me. Accounting <laughs> is a class I barely passed in college, honestly. Girl, same. I, my mom got me through that class, I'm sure. <laughs> Okay, and then on the flip side, what is the best part of being a nonprofit cafe owner? Is it getting to connect with the people and helping someone every day? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, we get to meet the coolest people, the families, the kids. Um, it's it's amazing. We have this kid who just this. Um, I mean, he's probably, I think he's five or six, and his mom. They've just started to eat with us uh, daily, and they are just such beautiful souls. They, um, I don't know where they're from yet, but we know a little bit about their story of where they live here and why they're here. Um, but they've started to eat with us and his name is Wise. He runs up as quick as he can, um, to give everyone a hug and put aside. I wish we could truly hug. Um, but he, and he loves the food. And so what he asked for, for his birthday, it's in December, it's next week. He said, Mom, can I get it up? Can we get eat at a place at the table and can I get a salad? <laughs> and I said, I said, I said to his mom, I said, why does he want a salad? He said, because we never get greens. <sighs> we don't get to choose what you want. And so they they eat daily with us. So it's it's those, mm-hmm. it's those folks that we just get to know their stories and their hopes and their dreams. And yeah. um, they get to feel a part of our our family. Um, and so we're the lucky ones that that we get to know so many of these. Um, incredible humans that get to eat with us. Do a lot of them become repeat customers? You know, do you get to see a lot continuous? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we, that's the, you know, I tell, I, we tell our staff and our, our main mission is community and good food for all regardless mm-hmm. of means. So we are using good food that we all deserve um, to creating this community that we all deserve and we all need. And so, so our staff knows Number one, you say hi, you, prior to COVID, you gave them a hug. You say hi, you ask them their name. And then when they come back tomorrow, you better remember that name, right? I love it. Um, and, and, and truly, that's the most important is, is making so many of, of the folks that come up, whether they're paying or not paying, feel known and a part of a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, yes, people, once, we, once they come once, we are going to make sure they feel loved and cared for. And so they better be coming back. I love that. Um, I mean, thank you. I, I do too. I'm, I feel lucky to be a part of it. I love to eat. So I've been to many restaurants downtown, especially And the hardest thing sometimes is when you see someone in need of a meal or water, you know, come up and ask and the restaurants don't know what to do. The staff, you know, don't know how to handle those situations. And, Usually they get kicked outside, you know, asked to leave the premise. And it's, it's heartbreaking um, because they're not being seen. They're not being welcomed. They're not even being able to have a conversation with them. Right. Or just say hi. Yeah. That's all you have to do is just say Give hi. someone some respect. Yeah. When you are doing this, I mean, it is such an awe-inspiring mission that you had. Was there a time where you got down in the trenches where you were like, maybe this won't work? Maybe it just won't happen. What, like, what kept you from just kind of being like, team, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I felt full, 
this like full disclosure, honesty, I, there were a lot of times I wanted to give up, but I felt like this was never actually going to work. And I'm a person of faith. And so I, I swear, like my faith got me through this because when one door closed, another one would open. Mm -hmm. It was like, it was like, just like that. Right. So something would close. I'd be super upset about it, but then this other thing would, would come immediately. Mm -hmm. And um would keep me inspired and so I think that that first and foremost second I have really good people in my life that remind me of why I do what I do and what my passion is Mm -hmm. and so I I have really awesome people that I would call and say should I still be doing this and they would say yes and that's all so having I had really I had and still have really great people Mm -hmm. um to surround myself with I think the third thing is I I tend to, for the full four years and still now, I decided that I was going to celebrate everything from the little things like getting our tax status to, well, that was a big thing, but the little things like getting the first $5 check to celebrating, um, getting the space, celebrating every little moment Mm -hmm. that really kept me going too, because I feel super sad one day. And then the second the second day something awesome would happen Mm -hmm. and we'd get to celebrate it um and then for just remembering why I was doing it so remembering that why and 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 thinking of all the incredible folks I was friends with who are experiencing poverty and homelessness and just remembering the the why I think so many of us get caught up in the end goal of these journeys these career paths you know running a marathon maybe you know the end goal is to get to that set of mileage. And I love that you celebrated every little milestone you guys had because that's being present. That's how we can, you know, be aware of the change and the goals that we are actually creating every day. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then can you describe what your typical workday looks like? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, every day is a little bit different, but we, with the pandemic, it's really shifted it. So, so I used to be, out speaking a lot. I used to be, you know, sitting on panels or traveling, telling the story. Um, I am the, I'm the fundraiser of the organization. So I, I, and I have an awesome staff that's running the cafe every day. So I was really responsible for making sure that these folks are paid. Right. And so I was the one telling the story now with, you know, once the pandemic hit, I'm pretty much boots on the ground mm-hmm. and, and, and I love that part. So chatting with people on the sidewalk, running the restaurant, running food, making sure everyone has what they need and we're feeding a lot more people. So, mm-hmm. so we need every hand we can, and we don't have volunteers right now. Prior to the pandemic, we had a lot of people volunteering. So now it's just my awesome staff who's, who's running the show every day. So I'm there to help. Mm-hmm. I also I also am in a lot of meetings. So I typically um, have a meeting at 7am. The cafe opens at eight. I have meetings throughout Mm -hmm. that I take from the sidewalk. And then at night, I I have a lot more meetings. We have a lot of committees. So as a nonprofit, we have committee structure that are all all volunteer run. And so these these amazing folks help us run the organization behind the scenes. So my life is is full of a place at the table. But right now I wouldn't change it any other way. Is a place at the table open every day of the week? Prior to COVID, we were open six days and now we're only open five because not having volunteers has really, has really hurt us. 
So only five days for breakfast and lunch. Okay. And prior to COVID, what was your schedule like during a week? You know, did you have a set schedule or were you just, you know, always working kind of? Uh, always working. I'm not the best at, you know, what, what do, what do leaders always say is self-care. Oh yeah. I can preach it, but I'm not the best follower. So 2021 goal, but no, I, I, I'm very fortunate that I that I could. I'm single. I don't have kids. Mm-hmm. I, I have been able to grind out and work a lot. Um, but we're we're looking at at I'm going to be looking at changing that in the new year and mm-hmm. and just making this a little bit making making the work life balance a little more sustainable. Okay, before COVID two, how many volunteers would you have in the restaurant? Yeah, so we saw about ninety volunteers a day. How many of those volunteers were coming in not to pay for a yeah. meal by volunteering? Yeah, so about 20 throughout the day. We were open for about nine hours. So about 20 were volunteers like you who could sign up to volunteer, but also volunteers that had a, a regular shift with us. So we had about nine volunteers a day that had a regular shift with us. They came in once a week. So my mom came every Friday morning from 630 to 930. That was her shift. Mm-hmm. And so then she would lead and help lead all the other volunteers that would come in. And we saw about 70 people volunteering for their meal a day and they can come whenever they want, come in, volunteer and and then go about their day. So a lot of volunteers, totally chaotic, totally <laughs> Yeah, it sounds chaotic. 90 people a day. Uh, For someone who needs a meal and they want to come in and they're going to pay with volunteering, what what does the volunteering aspect look like? Volunteering, yes. So people walk in, they choose whatever they want on the menu, they sit and enjoy their meal, um, and then they pop up and they run food, they do dishes, they fill people's coffees, they become the door greeter and make people feel loved and cared for. So there's a lot of volunteer opportunities. Some people prefer to do the dishes. Some people prefer to be the one chatting with people. And so they there's a lot of different possibilities and options. Okay. And due to COVID and not having volunteers right now, are y'all only doing takeout service right now? Only curbside takeout. Yep. So people can call in or they can walk up and get their meal. And with the COVID pandemic, what has been the hardest part for y'all and the cafe? I think, well, I think the hardest part is not having volunteers and not in a capacity wise, but in a relationship building, community building way. We miss our volunteers. We miss our community. I get to be outside talking to people, getting a meal. And I love that. But our chef, Chef Andrew is just an amazing human being. He is in the kitchen full time. And prior to COVID, he got to talk to so many folks volunteering for their meal. And that's why he loved it. Now he's inside. He doesn't get to talk to anyone. And so that's the hardest part is really not being out, having that, that, having to have a short conversation on the curb, as opposed to sitting down and having a cup of coffee with someone and just really sharing, sharing that relationship. So that's the hardest part. Uh, We miss that. We miss that community connection. Have y'all had to pause operations during COVID at all? We have, yes. We closed for two weeks. We were getting run down into the ground. We were starting about 350 people a day, a free meal. And we had to pause and say, this is not our mission. Our mission is community and good food for all, regardless of means. The soup kitchen is right down the street. Uh, So we, we hit pause. We created a task force and we evaluated what 
our community really needed and what our mission was. And we opened two weeks later with just a, a little recentering of that and began partnering with local nonprofits to get meals to them and get accessibility from for their folks to come to eat with us. Uh, it just changed a few things. And, and so just, again, re- resetting, recentering about and figuring out who we were. I can't even imagine having to do that during this time, but recentering always helps no matter how hard it is at the end of the day. Yeah. How, how can people help? Is there a way we can help right now? Come eat with us. Without volunteering? <laughs> come eat with us. That's what we want. Just come choose to eat with us. You can come get a pretty coffee with a good little heart in your latte. Come and eat with us. The food is awesome and you are supporting other folks who need a free meal when you eat with us. So just come and eat with us. Follow us on social. You can see our specials. You can see what, what our community is doing. And um, I think that's, that's the number one way to help. Okay. What is one of your favorite meals that you guys serve? Okay. I get the same thing every day. So, so does my volunteer manager and we are such like creatures of habit. The house salad with avocado and chicken is out of this world, but I do love everything else. We have an awesome Latin breakfast that I eat a lot. It's our, it's our chef's homemade black beans with cornbread and, and runny eggs and the homemade salsa and it's awesome. Take my word for it. Um, our spicy, spicy cheddar biscuits are amazing. Oh my goodness. They, yeah. Spicy bacon, egg and cheese biscuit. Can't go wrong. I'm a sucker for our pastry chef's pastries, pop tarts, uh, pumpkin bread, all the things. Any pastry for me, I'm hooked. I'm it's such a sweet. I know. I know. Me too. Either way. We all are like, why are our pants not fitting? You know what? That's not even a thought in mind during COVID right now. Definitely not. Don't worry. It's definitely This up. is my self-care is to eat. Uh, 100%. Uh, yes, 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 yes. That is my life. So, yes. Um, but yeah, come and eat with us. Come grab a Pop-Tart and, uh, and a coffee. And what's your social media platform? How can we follow you? Yeah, it's Table Raleigh. So, just T-A-B-L-E, Raleigh. And you can follow us there. And, and on Facebook, we're a place at the Table Raleigh. Okay, just a few random questions before we wrap this up. Would you say you're an introvert or extrovert? Totally an extrovert that needs to be an introvert sometimes. I I live alone and I love it, but I but that's only because I'm gone all day from seven to seven, and then I need, I need that two hours to be reset. So I'm an extrovert introvert. When you're not working, what do you like to do? I love to run. I love to. Uh, hike. So anything outdoors, I love. I'm about to go get to continue on my arm, my sleeve tattoo. So I love tattoos. Um, I'm like geeking out. I cannot wait. So I realized that this is something I love to do. Um, I love to binge watch TV and I'm not ashamed of it. I think COVID oh. that, right? I used to be a huge reader and I still do love to read, but there is nothing like binge watching CSI. <laughs> you know what? It's and I we can't blame it on ourselves. We're addicted. Netflix has created this addiction. Uh, addicted, addicted. So yeah, I mean, I'm a like I said, I'm a big runner. I'm a big and I'm a big foodie. I love food, so I love to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't love to cook, so I love to eat. <laughs> That's funny. What skills? What strengths do you think really helped you with your whole journey of life? Not just a place at the table, but really helped you through everything? Yeah. Thanks for asking that question. I, 
I shouldn't say this, but I do say this sometimes. I'm not good at a lot, but what I am good at, that's again, that's why you find good people who are good at things, right? So you hire people or find people to join your team. Um, but I think I'm good at loving people. I want to know people's stories. I want to to just make them feel like they are the most important person in the room because they are to me. Um, mm-hmm. I just love people. And I think I am, I, 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 I feel so fortunate to be, to have been born that way. And always, that's the first thing that I, I believe I'm, I was put on this earth to love people. So mm-hmm. um, I just have a, a, just such a desire to form deep connections with people. And so I think that's really helped me passionate. I love what I do. And when I, when I, when I stop loving what I do, that's the time to go. Um, mm-hmm. I'm compassionate. Like I love sitting with people, hearing their stories. I am. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I believe I'm kind. I have a, a tattoo of be kind, of be kind. And this I got years ago before the whole be kind movement. <laughs> so yeah. Well, it sounds like it's all guided you, your love for people, your compassion, your passion of what you're doing, which in your mission statement is, you know, community and good food for everyone. Thank you. Okay. Last question. Any advice you could share with a young adult trying to, you know, figure out what they should do? Maybe they're graduating college. Maybe they're not in college. They're working you know, who doesn't have a passion or they don't know what their passion is yet. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Get involved. Find things that that interest you. It doesn't have to be what you're passionate about. You may not know that, but if something, if, if, if it, if you see something and it makes you take a second to think about it and step back, start looking into it, get involved. I, my, one of my favorite quotes that's always guided me is your passion meets halfway with the world's greatest need. So you may not know it, but the world needs you and it's going to find you. So get involved. You don't have to go start a nonprofit. You don't have to go open up a pay what you can cafe. But I I really think that just get involved in something that interests you and start exploring from there. Say yes to everything. It's like Shonda Rhimes, year of yes. Live, live your life that way if you have the ability to do that and just try different things. Um, it may sound so cliche, but I'm a huge risk taker. And so I I just tell everyone, take risks. You have nothing to lose. Ask for help, right? So if you need, if you don't know what that is, ask. Ask people to help figure out where you should go next, what you should do next. People want to help. People especially want to help young people. And all you have to do is ask. And the worst that's going to happen is they're going to say no. And then you find another person. And then go ask that person a year down the line. So I, I think asking for what you need is is huge too. So mm-hmm. again, people want to help you. And so if you don't know what you're interested in or passionate about or what the world needs you to do, ask someone in your life what they think it is, right? And have them help ex- help have them help you explore that. So I think, yeah, taking risks and not being afraid to ask for help. I love how you just mentioned, you know, if you see something that interests you or just something that takes a second or two for you to think about, I think that's genius. You know, I think pass right over it and not maybe dive a little deeper into what it is. Yeah. What I also think, I think it always makes me feel sad when people feel like they're not doing enough or they're not right. They're not good enough or anything like that. That's not, that's not true at all. And I think, I think we, we all think we need to be donating the most money. We need to be 
serving on all the boards. We need to be volunteering on our weekends. Um, mm-hmm. Start slow and, and you will figure out what you're passionate about, but it, it, does, it takes time. Last question. Any advice for someone who wants to get into the cafe business, a restaurant business? Yeah. Well, I think seek out someone who's doing similar work and lean on them and ask them questions and use them, use them as your, I don't love the, the term mentor, but use them as your mentor. Right. Um, and that, that is the way you'll figure out if you actually want to do it, you can ask whatever questions you want, but I think get involved with someone already doing that and, and see, and, and start, go from there. Yeah. Reach out and ask. Well, thank you so much, Maggie, for your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you to everyone who's listened to this podcast fully. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave a comment and any feedback advice would be really appreciated.